Hi, I'm Rick Wright, and today we have a fun episode of Build Relationships, Break Poverty. This conversation we are seeing today is with Joe, who has spent 20 years emotionally supporting youth across various cultures, equipping adults to walk through grief counseling with vulnerable children, and delivering grief counseling training for Hope Chest staff in Uganda and Eswatini. In today's conversation, we talk about some interesting topics, including how Joe got his name, his favorite rugby team, and how he relates with the people he emotionally supports through his own personal painful experience. You'll laugh, you'll cry. Let's dive into today's episode. I encourage people who are are supportive of, of kids or communities, ask, tell about your own life. Often we don't really want to hear because we think, oh, I must now also tell something. But my story of overcoming something painful in my own life becomes an encouragement for somebody else. Welcome to Build Relationships, Break Poverty, a podcast that challenges the Western perception of international poverty by elevating the voices of local leaders and processing how we can help to alleviate poverty without harming those living in vulnerable communities. We are Children's Hope Chest, and we believe that building two-way relationships will break the cycle of poverty. So tell us a little bit about the capital E. What's that? Aha. Uh-huh. Well, Joe is not really my, my name. We, we knew that. That's why. Yes. Um, in, in, the, in, in the areas I work, Etienne is, is pretty French. So when I deal with Nigerian guys or people from Cote d'Ivoire, you know, French is easy. Etienne is easy to say. But when you go to Swaziland and you say Etienne or you go to Uganda and Etienne, mm-mm, it doesn't work. Yeah, over time, it just became Jesus owns Etienne. Jesus is my owner. Yes. Uh, and therefore, Joe. J for Jesus, O owns E, Etienne, Joe. And that's why the J is capital, the O is small, and the E is capital. I love that. I, <laughs> I just wanted to bring that out because I knew your story, and yeah. there's a lot of people who will be listening who would like to hear that. So, wondering, yeah. What a blessing. So tell us a little bit about growing up. Hear a little of your background. I always say that I was born uh, with Africa running through my veins. I was born in Katima Mulilu which is in the Caprivi Strip, which is in Namibia. And I was born there. It's right on the border of Botswana, Zimbabwe, Zambia. So it really is a little strip uh, of, of Namibia. But the Zambezi River runs right next to it. And, uh, and I, I must have had some Zambezi water when I was a little baby when I was born there because I just feel Africa is, is in me. <laughs> and we were there during the war period. Uh, my parents were working there in, in local hospitals. And at the age of four, we moved back to Cape Town, where my parents were originally from. Um, yeah, and then grew up in Cape Town, went to school in Cape Town. Normal, normal family with, uh, with challenges, uh, financial strains and stresses, which contributed eventually to my parents uh, divorcing at the age of 16, which is a great time for any teenage boy <laughs> to oh, yeah, be facing absolutely. parental separation and divorce decided to run away from home and go and study in Pretoria and then lived and studied in Pretoria for a while just to get away from home. Well, great. So you have a passion for kids. I do. Passion for impoverished kids. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, the the interesting thing is that um, in in my experience of working within schools in South Africa, I mean, I studied public relations management, which is very far removed from counseling. Um, however, I got involved in schools and, you know, with leadership development for, for young leaders at schools and, 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 and quickly 
I want to say, found a space with young people um, and listening to them and their struggles. And I could relate some of my own pain and frustration and anger of my own parents' divorce. Um, and therefore, when I, when I was speaking to young people, just it, it sat comfortably within me to sit and listen to them. From there, just started going on many camps with children, started getting involved in more schools, eventually was employed by local churches as a fraternal to start a, a ministry within schools called Jesus Our Teacher, JOT. And uh, yeah, so local churches supporting local youth workers to work within the schools and, and support kids who are experiencing tough times. That's great. When was the first time you heard of Children's Hope Chest? Trying to think of the year. <laughs> um, You're a young man. You yes. No, well, if you see how gray my, uh, my eyebrows are getting. <laughs> <laughs> I heard uh, from Children's Hope Chest from Matt and uh, Crick, his wife. Crick was on a youth team that I led. She was a member of my team. Um, called Service Year for Christ, and we went around schools, and so we go back to 1900s. I mean, she's an old woman, really. When they moved to Swaziland, we had some contact, but there was a, a loss that they suffered in Swaziland that really affected the staff that made her reach out to me um, and say, we know you've been working with this grief support business. Uh, do you think you can come across and help us? And that was my first involvement with them. I think it was maybe 2008. Is that right? Well, yeah. they, they speak so highly of you. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your role. There's no such thing as a normal day. You wear multiple hats. And again, Matt and Creek speak so highly of you. Tell us a little bit about the life and, you know, that day. Well, the many hats that I wear, um, the, they all have one central, I want to say central pillar, and that is just supporting people. In, in South Africa, I, I run a um, Facing Up Support Services, a, a non-profit ministry that specifically focuses on working with educators to equip educators with emotional awareness and anger management skills to help children in their classrooms. And then uh, with Children's Hope Chest, my partnership is specifically around the whole grief support programs. And it started in Swaziland of developing uh, their Ngesikatsi course, their grief support course, but before developing the course, actually taking the staff through the process of saying, what, what happened in my life and how has that shaped me? And therefore, how do I support other people that have similar experiences to, to what I've experienced? So that's the one cap that I, that I wear, specifically the grief course development. But it's all about development of people, really. And I think that, that's what I like about Hope Chest. Is, you know, that's the heartbeat in every project that is there, it's about developing the person as a whole. And for me, you know, the work in Swaziland, even in Uganda, relating to staff and building relationships with staff, discipling, mentoring, praying with them, man, it stokes my fire. It does stoke your fire. I can, I can sense Absolutely, that. Yeah. That home run over the, over the fence. Uh, that's it. <laughs> well, tell us, give, give us an example of a story, if if it's not too confidential, of, you know, an impact story, you know, where grief was involved and engaged and, you know, you saw transformation happen. Mm -hmm. I, I do get asked that question often. And the first thing that comes to my mind in, in a question like that is I always look at, at the end. And, and the end is always one that says, I've gone through this. And I often think of the movie uh, Shawshank Redemption, the Two of you are so young, you probably didn't see that. Why, thank movie. you. The gray, the, gray hairs, <laughs> the gray hairs fooled you. <laughs> um, and Shawshank Redemption, there's a part where 
Morgan Freeman says the guy that was convicted, he digs a tunnel and he crawls through a hundred yards of insert expletive. Exactly right. Yeah. He's the only man that has crawled through a hundred yards of that and came out clean on the other side. And that for me is the story of people growing through loss experiences. And if, if whether it's a story of, of, of a young man struggling with the fact that his mother didn't have a proper burial because the local community said that she was a witch. And he walks with that pain of saying, they took my mother and they just threw her into a hole. Nobody said a prayer. Nobody sang a song. Nothing. The community came, they took her, they throw her in, they walk away. And he's having to shovel the dirt onto his mother. Because he doesn't have money for, you know, a, a proper burial. He's a young orphan boy now. And for that boy to work through that pain and get to the other side and have memories of who his mother was, the dignity with which that woman carried herself, and his reflection on mother is now not that body they threw in a hole, but the woman who cared for him, who loved him, who, you know, who carried herself in the community that was trustworthy, that spoke, people spoke about lovingly until the point where, you know, she, she died, unfortunately. So whether it's a story like that or the story of, of a girl who just had a terrible relationship with her dad because he was drinking and when he, when he drank, he, he was abusive. She had this battle within her that she was a committed child of God and she knew that she had to honor her dad. And, and her loss was not that dad died. And, and, and that's the key for me here, that loss experiences is not necessarily death. It's a broken down relationship. And for her, she wanted a father because she understood the love of God and therefore wanted that fatherly love of God to also have that from her earthly father. Sure. And, you know, she was just torn. And yet she, she kept showing him respect and kept loving him and kept serving him as a young girl. And through a time of prayer and walking with her and local people, you know, forming a bond around her, motivating, encouraging, and eventually... That started changing. Yes, dad became very ill. He had to stop drinking. The doctor said, you will die. Uh, dad stopped drinking. And suddenly, that relationship started changing. Because dad now started seeing how this daughter of his is caring for him, loving him, you know, washing him, really taking loving care of her father. And so for me, those are the stories that, I mean, I, I, I have such a blessed life to hear those stories and to be a part of that kind of transformation because that is changing a narrative because that woman is now growing up with the love of a father so she's got double portion love the love of God which she understands but also now the love of father and that relationship has been restored so restoration there is uh, you know that's the that's the key one for me well and I like what you say the key is, is Jesus <laughs> you know the Holy Spirit involved in that you know and when they see the daughter you know, how they, she's been transformed. Cause, and back to the other point you make, you know, how many times do we, we think of grief, we think of a death. But grief can be so many. We've all been through grief at some level. You know, restoration through the Lord. And I like what you're saying on that. One of, one of the, the cases we had recently in Uganda is a, is a boy that was given as part of the goat project. He was given a goat and the goat died. Mm -hmm. And that boy walked with this feeling of anger and, and, and self-retribution of, and, and I'm not good enough, and I couldn't take care of this goat. And he attended the unbroken course. And on that course, the change of mindset, where, where he met God, <laughs> and God said, I love you as you are. 
The goat was ill. You are not an ill child of mine. I have bought you with my blood. And the, that boy was just, I mean, he was, he was changed. Changed in his view of himself and, uh, and changed in relationships because of that. And that, is, that is absolutely amazing. Well, shifting gears a little bit, you know, we talk about Swaziland and, and, you know, obviously we have a drought that's going on that's impacting everything. <laughs> I mean, not even the country, the kids, the communities. What are some of the other obstacles you see in, in Swazi, when I say that, transforming the country? You know, what are some of the obstacles we're seeing? I think living, living in, a, in a culture where what the king says is what happens is a, is a challenge. If, if we think as Christians we know what our king says and therefore we do what our king demands. And it's pretty similar in Swaziland. And so you've got a clash of culture versus Christianity. So if, if culture says this is how we do it, then now suddenly young Christians who are now trained and discipled and, and you know, empowered are now in conflict with culture. And so that is a, that's becoming a real challenge. And young Christians are being called, and young Christians that we work with, shepherds in, in Swaziland, are being called opinionated and disrespectful in, in their local communities at times by, by people who don't understand and recognize the growth and the transformation in their lives because of the investment in their lives. Sure, there are financial challenges. I mean, they, they, they are there and they are real. However, you are dealing with young people who are saying, I don't care whether I get paid or not. I will still follow Christ. And I will still serve in my local community because I see the impact it's had in my life when people saw potentially me and therefore I want to do it to other people. And the challenge is that they face difficulty from people who would look at them and say, who are you? You're a young person. You shouldn't be talking like this. You should know your place. What do you know? Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Build Relationships, Break Poverty. Did you know that we have an online store? You can help us spread the word about our organization by using one of our Hope Chest mugs or shirts. When you purchase an item from our online store, you support Hope Chest's work of empowering thousands of vulnerable children, their families, and their communities. Visit store.hopechest.org to shop today. Well, the other aspect when we talk about Swazi and the King we have this whole thing that we're dealing with. There's been a name change. Swazi, you know, what's going on in Swazi? The second question we get is, what's a Swaziland? You know, where is it? So help us out a little bit. You know, we hear this, you know, uh, the smoke will be clearing someday on, a, on a, in the name change. But what is that all about? And what do you see? Look, in the, in the mouth of, of the Swazis, they've been talking about Eswatini all along. So the new name is Eswatini. That was the original name. When it was colonized, it was a very difficult name for the, for the white man to say, and so they became Swaziland. The king on his 50th birthday got up and said, we are now changing it, we are taking back our name. So that was an official declaration. However, you know, people weren't surprised because they call it that anyway. They call it Eswatini. So I think the biggest adjustment is for us to now think, who is it? Is it now politically correct to call it Swaziland or must it be Eswatini? What should it be? Uh, I honestly don't think the Swazis care all of that much because they know now what it would cost financially to start changing all of the names. 
I mean, it's a small little country. You go and look at a map. Go to, to Swaziland and you will see it's tiny. And the cost for changing names of universities, hospitals, you, know, you can think of everything that carries a national name. That has to change. Yeah, I've been blessed because about a year and a half ago, as you know, I was in Swazi um, spending some time with Matt and the teams, and I got to see some of the things. And kind of shifting gears, one of the things that impacted me, there was two things. Um, the sports programs, which we talked a little bit about, but you touched on a little bit. Um, the shepherds, mm. you know, the mentoring in so many levels. Yeah. Grief counseling, grief yes. support, prayer support. So tell us, you know, talk a little bit about, as you see it, the passion mm. in, in the shepherds. Mm. I would venture out to say that, that that's probably one of the most successful young leaders programs that, that, that I've been fortunate to be involved in. The caliber of young people that they are mining from communities. I mean, those guys are not just becoming strong men and women for the organization, but they really are making a shift in their communities. They really are targeting specific young people and raising up more young leaders. One of, the, one of the great things that we've seen now, that the shepherds, as part of the discipleship program that we've developed in Swaziland, the shepherds have identified young leaders who can act as small group conversation leaders during discipleship times. So these young leaders now meet with the shepherd once a week, just six or four or eight of them, and they talk about the topic at hand. And the shepherd now has a time to invest deeply, really disciple, into the lives of those young leaders. So when it comes to the big discipleship meeting, the shepherd is merely giving an instruction to, from the front while the conversations are happening within peer groups led by a young leader. And, and that, again, that excites me because for the first time, the shepherd is now experiencing the growth of their own investment into the lives of the young people. And, and that just brings another flavor to when we have meetings with shepherds. They can now see the faces of the young lives that they are impacting. These guys aren't immune to pain themselves. And, um, and, and when it comes to specifically the grief part, um, th they've been in this year there have been several losses amongst the shepherds. Just, I want to say three or four weeks ago, I was at, at a funeral of, of one of the shepherds whose, whose uh, grandmother passed away and his sister's child died at birth, both in the same weekend. Holy oh, man. And at the same time, another, another young shepherd, uh, her, her brother, um, committed suicide. And so, two o'clock in the morning, because the, the vigils go through the night. So, I left the one at two o'clock and reached the other one at three o'clock at night, and the burial was at, at six o'clock in the morning. But that's the, that's the true life. And in that community, Ekudzeni, there were four funerals in one weekend. And part of that community is if there's a, be a burial in our community, a vigil, we go to it. So you would be at your own brother's funeral, and then <laughs> wash your face, move to the next one, wash your face, move to the next one. And Monday morning, 8 o'clock, hello Monday, back at the office. Wow. And so life goes on. The privileged position I find myself in is that because of building relationship with them from January when the new intake comes into, uh, into SLA, so as an end leadership academy, I take them through a, a five, six week uh, immersion program where we do everything from 
what does your day look like as a shepherd to contracts? What does your contract entail? But part of that is building relationship and also taking them through a process of identifying grief and, and painful experiences. And so we bond very closely in that time. And the advantage I have is to then, on a Monday after a weekend like that, just to take them to the side and say, hey, let's, let's just talk a little bit about where you are. Um, and then, you know, even now while I'm here, I'm having contact with, with the one girl who lost her brother. And it's great to see how she's now coming through the different phases of dealing with that pain. So it's a, it's a real privileged position for me to be so closely, working so closely together with them, even though I don't even live in Swaziland. I live in Cape Town. Yes. <laughs> and yet when I'm there, you know, God just puts us together so that we can comfortably talk to each other. You know, on that note, we, we often get a lot of questions about the grief counseling program, where it is, the impact it's having, and a question would be is how can I support it? Question B to you, what do you see the future? Mm-hmm. How does this thing grow? Obviously, we pray, we sure. encourage you, we support you, sure. we know the impact it's having, but you know, talk to me about your vision. Rick, there are two things that I'd like to say here. The first one is that there's not a one-size-fits-all when it comes to grief. And if you look at the Swazi, the Swazi course and you look at the Uganda course, Ngesikazi versus Unbroken, they're different courses because it's different countries, it's different environments. The people who presented have different experiences. So, so the first thing I want to say is that people need to understand that there's a process of developing the material. I don't just copy something and put another stamp on it and another flag on it and now it's a Guatemalan <laughs> process or a, a program. So, so the cost involved in that, I want to say the payoff for that or the benefit of, of investing those funds is seeing the growth in the staff. I was having a conversation with Joseph again and we still talk about two, three years ago when we did selfie training um, with their staff of, of putting them through a process of identifying painful experiences and, and seeing where was God in this. And, so, and that is actually part of the development of the course. So if people see the course, they need to understand that there's been a process of staff really digging deep through painful experiences, swimming through the mud in order to be clean on the other side. The the second thing I want to say is that you can take a photograph of a bountiful produce produced in a local community garden. You can take a photograph of a pot that a child has made, or you can even eat the bread that was made in a local bakery. And, and I love those projects. I've seen them. I've been privileged enough to eat donuts from those kids. And, and it, it's beautiful. You cannot take a photo of Rick before a course and of Rick after a course and see the change. And that's where I want to motivate um, visitors to countries. Those people who go and, and, and go and experience the countries and, and visit their special friends. Don't be scared to engage in conversation about what are you learning? How is your life developing? Wow, have you had painful experiences? And, and have you, I've, what is this unbroken course? Or engage in the conversation. We are so scared that we might offend. And yet the only way we really hear is if we allow the space for that person to tell me, this is what I've learned. Yeah, we always say that, you know, relationship. We, you know, it's almost a misunderstood word. You know, how many times... 
do we challenge ourselves and challenge people to say there's much more than just you know putting your arm around do you really want that do you want to go deep do you want that intimacy you know it's 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 this is what relationship is all about yeah. and we forget about that yeah. you know i hear the passion in your voice yeah. you have that 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 relationship and it's and it's such it, i use the word privilege a lot of times i know that but it is a privileged position to sit and allow somebody to tell you what they're going through what they've gone through and how they've got through it and that's the growth part where where we all get excited about when we we can we can hear the change and and every time i hear the change man i tell you that word resilience ah <laughs> i'll hit another home run <laughs> over that fence you know the other aspect i love what you you all say you know it's it is that individual mm. it's that one-on-one relationship you know and talk a little bit about that because sometimes we we, we we tend to look at the bigger picture. That, that I think, is a challenge that, that some of the, the shepherds in Swaziland and, and I know the other field workers in Uganda, when we are looking for a story or a, you know, a, a changed narrative, it could often feel to them like we are trying to get stories for tabloid newspapers and, yes. and, and almost cheapen the, the transformation, the real transformation. The, the small group in which the grief sessions are presented creates such a safety net that kids are willing to talk openly about deep, deep, painful things. And that's where I think in, in one-on-one conversations, it's so much easier for that, for that child who now has the confidence because they've, they felt it's okay for me to tell somebody what I'm feeling. So they're almost kind of looking for the next person who they can trust with their story. I encourage people who are, are supportive of, of kids or communities, ask, tell about your own life. It's often we don't really want to hear because we think, oh, I must now also tell something. But my story of overcoming something painful in my own life becomes an encouragement for somebody else. So I bring light to your life, you bring light to my life, and we put our candles together and we have a bigger flame. I like that, putting the candles together, because that's exactly the analogy. Yeah. It's putting the candles together. You know, two are stronger than, you know, the threads. And I, and I do believe that. And it's grief counseling, that's it. Yeah. And I, I, I reiterate, you know, we're all dealing, everybody's dealt with grief at some level, you know. I, I think our worlds are, are so separate, isn't it? I mean, we think of Africa as this, you know, it's far away and... And yes, your dollar is strong and my South African rand is weak. However, I cut your arm, you cut my arm, we both bleed red. Our painful experiences are painful to my context in which I grow up and which I operate. And therefore, whether, whether yours is a divorce or your house burned down, it doesn't matter. Your painful experience have some feelings that you feel that, will, that I will be able to relate to when we talk. And therefore, people should not be scared to just be open and honest. You know, Joe, an inspiration to us, to me, I mean, obviously, because, you know, we're out there talking to churches, businesses, friends, family, you know, that have dealt with grief. And they're always saying, you know, I want to support and grow. So, Mm. you know, I guess in closing, you know, if you were to talk to the youth, to the kids, to the teenagers, to the shepherds, you know, what what would your message to them be? Two words. A loaded question, I know. No, two words, they're easy. Keep growing. Keep going. People often say, just keep going, keep going, keep going. But you can keep going in the wrong direction. Yes. When it comes to pain, I encourage people to keep growing. Keep growing. Because your roots will go deep down looking for 
water, the water of life. And God promises us that those who are planted and whose roots are deep, the winds can blow, mm-hmm. but they will be firm and mighty. And painful experiences can blow our leaves and they can shatter our, you know, our trunk. But the roots are there and life will come again. And therefore, I encourage people, keep growing, keep growing, keep growing. Grow in understanding of one another. Grow in understanding yourself. Grow in allowing yourself to feel. Grow in who God is in you and who you are in Him. It's a growth process for me the whole time. So young people, whoever's listening, keep growing. Well, Zoe, again, this has been a blessing. We appreciate your time. You know, we're praying for you. Thank you. If, if I can also just say thanks from my side. It, it's been, it, it has been such an enriching experience being able to work with, with you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Children's Hope Chests Build Relationships, Break Poverty. You can follow Hope Chest on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast.